So glad to have you here with us today. Thank you for joining us to, uh, to honor God and worship with us. And uh, it's been, been a great, great week. I tell you, we were just in service the other day. The, pastor, the pastoral team in the office prays every week. And I'm telling you, man, it was like just, we looked and we were like, something's different. Something's different. God is, God's doing something. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's good. And we welcome it. And uh, we uh, took the last couple of weeks to look at relationships. Did you not appreciate Pablo Polishek here? PhD unpacking, like, it was awesome. You know, and just, it was a reminder that when a relationship is spiraling downward and each person in it is feeding the negativity, that the one that is the one that changes it is the one that chooses to be more mature. And we sow in the right direction and in time, we can totally reverse something and honor one another and love one another. And uh, there's always hope. There's always hope in Christ. And so with relationships come and that topic coming to an end, um, I felt after coming back from Israel, I wanted to share one kind of message that really rekindled in my heart when I was there. But in the next few weeks to come, I wanna introduce you to a new series we're gonna be doing, the original spoken word, which is the prophets. This is the least read and the least preached portion of the Bible, and yet it is one of the largest corpuses in all of Scripture. And they are the covenant callers. They are the ones that call us to the carpet, that refine us and bring us into change. And we just said, Lord, we need the voice of the prophets in our world and in our life today. So we're going to... Throughout the year, there are things that show up, like Easter, we're gonna focus back on the passion of Christ, and we're gonna preach, uh, preach on the death and resurrection, amen, the resurrection of Jesus, the only one who ever defeated death, hell and the grave, for us. And we're going to look at that, but we are also then going to begin a journey over the next few, and the next year, where we just continue to work through a prophet so that we become prophetically literate in this community. And, uh, and I wanna tell you something, if you're not here Wednesday, nights I understand you're busy and you have jobs and you've got kids and all that kind of stuff but you are missing out on an incredible experience here we have Bible college professors that are proficient in Greek Hebrew in scripture and they teach people about the word of God 24 7 that is their expertise and uh, this week began second Peter with with uh, with Pastor Ben Phillips he is uh, a professor at North Point Bible College we finished off with David Munley talking about um uh Second Timothy, and so I don't know what it is with these second epistles, but I kind of joked with him because those of us that are in, in scholarship, I kind of leaned into him and I said, hey, just for the record, Second Peter just barely made it into the canon, and he just kind of, and then he pointed out something which is amazing, that in the original language in the book of Second Peter, it refers to Jesus as, as God and Savior, and that the way that it's written is, is that it's one person. Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, our God. He is Lord God Almighty, and uh, anybody that resurrects from the dead definitely has the credentials to back that. And, and it was, I was just really excited to walk away with some powerful truth from that book and look forward to what we're gonna see over the next few weeks. So I encourage you, come here. You won't leave here empty, you'll leave here filled and blessed. And uh, as we begin to start the original spoken word, you guys know how spoken word is this new big thing um, and it's not that new, but among, uh, it's like the new rap, right? My name is Paul, I'm five foot seven. 
best believe I'm going to heaven, you know? So I can totally rap, man. There it is. Maybe not, right? But we're going to, this is the spoken word. Like, like no prophecy came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And we have God's will and God's word through the prophets, and we are going to let it rip open and rip into us and rearrange our life and let God speak things for our growth and our development and our maturity. So get ready. This is going to be awesome, awesome uh, view of, of uh, God's word in a very unfamiliar place. And this church, my, my hope, my prayer is that we will be the most prophetic book literate community in New England by the grace of God. And that's not a brag, that's just a grab. But it's all that God has for us. We preach and we want the full gospel. We want the power of the spirit. We want the love of God. We want all of those kind of things. And the full gospel includes the prophets. And so we're gonna just definitely run into that. And uh, to prep for our message this morning, I just have a, a sort of an interlude here of what I believe to be the funniest woman that ever walked the face of the earth. Take a look on the screen as we prep for our message here with this brief video clip. Take it away, media. <laughs> what does that have to do with service? Absolutely nothing. I just wanted to show it to you. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. No, actually everything. I want to talk to you today about Gethsemane and talking about uh, communion this morning and uh, the great relevance that this has for our life here. And so if you would grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 26. You can do this digitally. We have an app, by the way, if you go to Lowell Assembly of God or Lowell AG, there's an app that has tons of uh, ways to engage the church, get announcements, and of course, uh, the U version of the Bible's on there. You can pretty much grab any version in the universe and read it there. I'm gonna read from the ESV. Those are the ones that are in front of you. What page number is that, by the way, on the ESV book there? 923, isn't that great? What church gives you the page number in the Bible, right? Page 923, this is the book of Matthew, first gospel and first book of the New Testament. And the story of Jesus as he's about to face the cross and the place of prayer that he goes to in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before, or the evening there, he is in with his disciples in a place partaking of Passover. And uh, we celebrate it as communion, but it was clearly, clearly Passover here for a thousand different reasons. And 
some great truth that God has for us here this morning. So if you'd pray with me, we'll read immediately following. Lord, let your word do its work. Change us. Help us embrace all that you have for us. Lord, help us to make space and change that we need in order for you to do what you want. And we give you permission for all of it in your name. Amen. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you. One of the gospel writers wrote, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink of it anew in my Father's kingdom. And they had, after the, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter answered, though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same. Jesus, then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he said to his disciples, uh, and he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you that know that say amen? And again, for a second time, he went and prayed, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Notice he moves from asking the question to making a statement. He's not asking for God to take it away. Now he's saying, if this is inevitable, want you to know your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping with their eyes, for their eyes were very heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same words again. And he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Um, th this past year, as most of you know, recently, or, or those of you that are guests, just to explain to you, um, a tremendous privilege has opened up where the, my area of expertise is in physical language, historical, cultural settings of the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. And so the lead pastors over pa all pastors in New England have asked if once a year I would take a group of leaders and just train 
and create moments for them to renew them. And so they've uh, graciously picked up the entire bill for me each time and the board is graciously allowed to release me to do this. And this will translate into us taking trips as well down the road in the near future, I'm sure. But um, every time I go there, I'm there and I'm like, Lord, if I never get to go here again, I just want you to know how grateful I am. Thank you. And uh, this last trip was, I think, 16th time that I had been there doing this. And each time when you go on these kind of trips, they're all kind of like, go, 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 let's see this. The big phrase over and over again, if you, if you know this, right? What does the guide say when, just when you're getting ready to settle into a site, he says this, back to the bus, back to the bus. And so I said, you know what? That is not the point of why we're here. We're like back to the cross, back to the Savior, back to the presence of God. And so we have done something with these trips that is different from any other trip you do. We create what's called sacred pause. Yes, we have education. Yes, you take more pictures than you'll know what to do with and forget half of what you snapped. But the, the, the point of like being at the place where all this took place and to rush through there, like what's the point? Like I could have just totally gone to Google and looked at all these pictures and studied in a classroom. And so we create these sacred pause moments. And through the years, one of them that we take over and over again is in the actual region of the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a private place where you can go off from the public Catholic shrine. And we sit down and reflect on this. And what is amazing to me about this event with Jesus is found within the name of the place where all the events take place, Gethsemane. Now there are a handful of people that will be able to track with me the language, but here's the thing, we've made a promise in this church, we'll never say the Greek says or the Hebrew says unless it means something. And here's the other thing, some of you can speak in languages, I don't even know what you're talking about, Portuguese, I don't know if it's French, I don't know if it's Spanish, but you seem to understand both. You got, we got some really intelligent people here that are bilingual, trilingual, quadlingual, it's amazing, it's amazing. We have every tribe and nation and tongue under one language in this church, under the English language, that's who we are and we believe that that's what heaven will be and um and what that universal language is depends on who you are some people say better learn spanish pastor because um heaven is spanish you know and other people are like it's portuguese and you know uh, i think it's hebrew but i could be wrong but i i i don't know but there are also people in our community that understand hebrew greek and all these different things and uh here's the thing is that um just because there are some of us that have proficiency in this language does not mean that you're second-rate access, you have second-rate access to the truth of God. And so when we find that there's meaning in this, we take time to explain it because you're an intelligent community and, uh, and we bridge it and that's the reason why uh, biblical scholars study original language. And this particular title of this particular place is profound. Let me unpack it for you and then we'll unpack the truth I feel that God has for us here. The word Gethsemane is actually written in Greek in the New Testament, but it's not a Greek word, and it's not just one word. It's actually two compounded Hebrew words. First word is gat. What is a gat? I'll show you. A gat is what is used to produce new wine, extracting the juice from grapes, it's brought into one of these kind of facilities like you saw Lucille Ball dancing around in and they step on it and then what happens is, is the juice flows into one section 
and more of the silt and more of the chunks and the seeds fall to the ground and then it moves and pours into a second vat so that by the time it goes through this process, the hope is, is that there'll be no or little seed and chunks of grape and just strictly the straight juice that's in there. And you see these all over the land of Israel and all over places. And this one's a mega gat at a place called Aboda. And they would have like 10 people in nine different sections and they would just take care of the entire community's crushing in a moment and just step through and step on it. Second half of this word, semini. There is no, now some scholars say, oh, it's actually, this whole thing is a Aramaic word because, you know, Aramaic was actually the land, it's not correct. In fact, the the word uh, mishki and the whole design of what you'd have to do to make this sound Aramaic doesn't even make sense. Hebrew Hebrew and Aramaic are similar, but they're very, very different. Uh, It's almost like how those of you that speak Portuguese can understand Spanish and vice versa, but there are just some words that just are not the same and uh, and it just doesn't translate. For those of you that understand those languages, you're like, got it, totally. Well, what in the world's going on? What is uh, semini? Actually, the Hebrew word for semini is actually pronounced shmenei and it's called oil. Shmenei is what they would do is, is they would take an olive, you don't even know how much I love God's word and love you for me to hold this. This is right up there with mayonnaise for me, by the way. Okay, I had even Pastor Dylan prepare this plate. They t- this grows on a tree, and what they do is, is they take it and they crush it under a grinder. And here's the interesting thing is, is that, you know, in uh, olives are these pits, these seeds, we buy them pitted, but it doesn't matter when you're making olive oil because whether these are in chunks and they're grinded into it or not, it's not the point because they take the pulp from this after it's grinded up, whether it's by a donkey or by a couple of people, and then they bring it to this other place where they take baskets and they put the pulp in it and they have this kind of pressing scenario where it pours, it squeezes the baskets, it pours into this trough and then spills into a little container and thus you get the olive oil and that's how they produce these things. And that's actually a picture of one there with the baskets and the weight presses down and it presses it. Here's the interesting truth of all of this. You do not produce wine in an olive press, ever. In fact, if uh, you notice usually in traditional wine pressing ceremonies, they still do in Italy and they did in the ancient world, it was usually the women that would step on the grapes and the men would be singing songs and all kinds of things as this kind of celebration because the way that a woman distributes her weight is gentler than a man because if the seeds inside a grape are broken, the vintage is instantly bitter. In fact, I don't know how accurate this is, but somebody said to me secondhand, they said, men always produce bitter wine. And all the ladies said, it's just, you got to deal with us. But ladies are able to distribute that squishing in such a way, the way that God's designed you, that it just goes through and it, it doesn't. But if you crush the seed of a grape, you ruin the flavor of it. It's instant bitterness. If you look throughout all ancient literature, I've yet to find a single place prior to the Gospels and all early church fathers forward that ever talk about a place called Gethsemane. Because I believe that this is a phrase that the early church grabbed, talking about the suffering of Jesus, where he crushed 
his son and gave him the bitter vintage of the wrath of God so that you and I could be free. Gethsemane. The Bible says that there was a, a garden. I'm going to let you guys take over from here forward if you'd kind of track along there. But look at what it talks about the place. There was a garden. It says about Jesus it was his custom to go there. And look at Judas. It says that Judas who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. What's interesting is, is three times a year, traditionally, devout Jewish men and women and families would descend upon Jerusalem and they would celebrate the three feasts of Pentecost, Booth, and Passover. And they would celebrate these within the city limit. The Passover at that time was eaten within the city limits. So all along the hillsides, people would have a great camp out session. And so Jesus would come to this place, almost like, uh, how many of you ever go to Soul Fest? Please, like, will you release your campsite for me? I can't get in there because there are families, they get campsites and they keep them for eternity and they give them to their children and then I'm sleeping in a field near a brook in a van down by the river. <laughs> Some of you got that. All right, so anyway. Um, but they would do this and Jesus had this spot where his family and his disciples and, and he would, and isn't it crazy when it comes to betrayal? First of all, an enemy cannot betray you. It's impossible. Betrayal only comes at the hand of a close and dear friend. And Jesus took Judas in, knowing who he was and what he would do, and still loved him. And Jesus took you and me near him, knowing what we would do, and still loved us. I need that in my life. I need that kind of love. It's a hard example to live up to, but yet that's what Jesus did. And Judas leveraged what he knew about Jesus against him, and still he loved him. And Jesus comes in and he takes up the cup of suffering. And the verses are spelled out there for you, but three times it says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Lord, if, it's, if you're able to, nevertheless, over and over again, not my will, you'll be there. I think every single one of us in this room has had a moment in our life where we were facing a, a humiliating, a exposing, a painful, a different situation, difficult time, and we said this prayer. We said, oh God, if you can just totally remove this situation from me, please do it. I'll serve you all the days of my life but not many of us have been able to add on to it what Jesus did. Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. Those are difficult words. And they were as difficult for Jesus as they would be for you and me because although he was fully God, he was also fully man. And he looked death and suffering in the face and said, your will be done. I have a mentor of mine share this with us all the time. And he said it like this, you've probably heard it before. Paul, he said, until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change, change will never take place in your life. And he used to say, pain now or pain later. And there are so many times in my life where I knew the pain of change was upon me, but yet when it comes to pain, I think all of us are procrastinators. And it, it reaches that moment of critical mass. And he said, Paul, don't wait until pain becomes greater than the pain of change. He says, why not change now and pain later and pain less? 
Let God have his work in our life. You know, Jesus never promised he'd take the pain out of this life, but he did promise that we'd overcome it if we trust him and we obey him and we yield to him. He said this to his disciples. He said, in this world, you'll suffer. Take heart, I've overcome the world. James said it like this, count, you know, count it all joy when you suffer trials of many kind. In fact, one, it's just a part of life whether you're a Christian or not, but here's the beautiful thing is, is that God is guiding us through a process where he leverages our difficulties and challenges to honor and glorify himself. He's not the author of those things. He's not the author of that life that he took that you loved. He's not the author of that devastation that you experienced. This world is filled with sin, sinful people, sinful momentum, and it just happens. Bad things happen to good people as much as bad things happen to bad people. But God says this, he says that he works all things together for good for those who love him are called according to his purpose. And so you can say like my friend said all the time, It hurts, but it hurts so good when God is behind it. He's not the author of it, but he's the leverager of it. And suffering's subjective, isn't it, right? You ever hear this? It's a middle school thing. I just want to (laughs) die. All right, here's the one. I'm starving, right? I'm like, kid, you ain't starving. You look like you could go two months in Sudan before you have any worries whatsoever. In fact, we need to do a field trip with American middle school kids and send them to the Sudan for a couple of months and then bring them back and, you know, be like this. We're not suffering. We're not dying. But think about Jesus. Jesus was not like, I feel like. He's saying, I don't want to die. And then the Bible said this, that he went everywhere, going about everywhere, doing good. Who would not want to extend that stay and that good that was happening? And yet his prayer was, I don't want to die. I mean, it's noble for all of the heroes that we have of people laying down their lives or whatever, but if they could have chose it, I don't think that anyone would want to sacrifice their life. They would want to live it. And here, Jesus' life was like pure good. And yet he lays it down. And he's in the garden and he refers to a cup and he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. See, this wasn't the cup of communion that Jesus was facing. This was the cup of God's wrath. In fact, there are all kinds of references to cups. In fact, in the Passover, there are five cups that are partaken of in the Jewish tradition. And the fourth one that Jesus was talking about is called the cup of redemption. But the cup that Jesus is praying that he doesn't have to drink is the cup of the wrath of God against sin. In fact, you read all throughout the the Old Testament in all these different places like Psalm 63 and 75, 8. And let me just read a couple of them where the the cup of God is referred to not in a good way but in a very bad way. And he says, you have made your people see hard things. You've given us wine to drink and made us stagger. Psalm 75 says this, for in the land of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed and he pours it out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to its dregs. Jeremiah put it like this, take from my hand the cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations whom I send you drink of it. And in the book of Revelation, it says that if anyone worships the beast or the image that receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of God's wrath poured out full strength into a cup of his anger. See, God hates sin. And here's the thing about the 21st century Jesus that is so mixed and why we need to spend time in going through the prophets is that we think that God just deletes his anger and his wrath and writes love on there 
God never gives up his love for his anger towards sin, and neither does he ever give up his anger towards sin for his love. He satisfied them by taking it out on his son Jesus so that you and I could be free. And this is why I love Jesus. See, I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, people say, I love you, man. I'll be there for you. Why is it that everybody says that when it doesn't matter? And then when you need them, where are you, man? Bro, where'd you go? (laughs) Where are you? See, people will always be there when you don't need them and never be there when you do. That's just human nature. But the Bible says that the Lord is an ever-present help in times of trouble. And here's the beauty of what's going on here. When he is with his disciples, and he is passing around this cup with them. It's the cup of redemption. Redeem means to buy back. Probably the easiest way in our 21st century world of knowing it is is basically buying, selling something to a pawn shop because you desperately need the money to pay the bills. But then after you use that money for the bills, you save and scrape together because that item that you pawned off is incredibly valuable to you sentimentally with your heart and so now you need to run and buy that back before somebody else buys what already should belong to you and that's what God did with us he redeemed us and it says in the gospels right or it says in the new testament you've been redeemed but not with silver not with gold but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ God bought back you and I to himself, satisfying his anger and his wrath towards sin, taking it out on his son through the cross and resurrecting him so that those that believe in him, though we die, yet shall we live. That we can be made right with God. How many of you walk in here and you're, you, you're just like, I just, I'm just not right with God. I mean, I'm not, don't raise your hand, please. <laughs> um, I don't feel right with God. When, did, when was the last time you felt right about anything anyway, right? Feelings are a terrible shepherd. Don't want to be led by him anyway. I just don't feel worthy. Guess what? You're right. You're not worthy. And you're not as special as your mom says you are. You're not worthy, but you're not worthless. That's why Jesus died for you and I. He died to make us worthy. I don't know what that means, but it sounded like hallelujah in Spanish there. I am so grateful for Jesus. And here's the funny thing is, is when it comes to like, uh, you know, following God and whether you're a Christian or a minister or Bible college professor or Bible college student or wherever you're at, you know, we always overestimate ourselves. The, the, uh, the two brothers that he pulled aside, James and John, right? At one point, their mom goes up to him, and at another point, it seems like they go up to him, and they're like, hey, Lord, I want to be your right-hand man, and my little brother, he can be your left-hand man. What is it with you older brothers always controlling the situation and giving us leftovers? I'm just talking from a very disturbed younger brother here. He's like, you, you can let my little brother sit on your right hand, but I'll be, uh, left hand, but I'll be your right-hand man. And then Jesus looks at him and says, can you drink the cup that I drink? He's talking about the cup of wrath. You think, and then they say, well, yeah, of course we can, right? Sometimes how ignorant we are. I think it's more ignorant than arrogant. I think we got God all figured out. We think we know how we'll respond. They took off just like everybody else in the garden. No, he says, well, guess what? For your news, uh, you will drink the cup that I give to you, but whether to sit at my right and left hand, be my right-hand man and my left-hand man, that's really for my father to give. So you get the cup, you don't get the, the work perks. It was a cup of agony, man. 
beginning, it says that in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He says to us, can you drink this cup? We can say we think we can, but there's no way we could have handled this cup. And he sweats, I mean, he's sweating drops of blood and I know I'm kind of being a little bit allegorical and metaphorical for my, my scholarly friends that are here, but man, it was almost like Jesus was that grape in the grip of agony and he's dropping and he's, God is crushing and squeezing him and so much, under so much duress that he's dropping sweat mixed with blood. I've had some really fearful and worrisome moments in my life, but never that intense because he knew what was coming. And yet the Bible says this in Isaiah 53 verse five, he says, he was crushed for our transgressions. I'm so grateful for Jesus. And the only cup that this world could even offer him when he was on the, cu- on the cross, it says that they mocked him and they offered him a sponge dipped in wine and myrrh. You know, they thought he said he's thirst and they're like, ha, 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 let's just give it to him. And they would put myrrh in there because it would kind of be like take the edge off the pain. And yet what does he do? He refuses it. That's the best drink you and I can offer God is, is, is a mouthful of mockery. Oh, not openly, not directly, but we come before him and we're like, Lord, I'm yours, I love you. And then we find ourselves falling back into the same pitfalls, the same behaviors, the same traps. And yet here's the thing, God knows what you are not just as much as he knows what you are and he still loves us. He still loves us. See, when he was offering that, that cup in the Passover meal with the, with the disciples, it was the fourth cup it was the cup of redemption. And in fact, it's the coolest thing and maybe we'll bring in somebody from like chosen people ministry or something to do a Passover again. Um, but when the Jewish people celebrate Passover and this cup is brought out, they read Exodus chapter six, verse seven. Listen to this. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. Uh, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, the God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. How many of you here this morning came out from under the burden, not of Egypt, but under a taskmaster, under a slavery of sorrow and depression and addiction and, and hopelessness and, and habitual grotesque sin over and over again, not able to pull out of that. And the Lord says, you know what? You don't have what it takes to make the cup of the new wine that I want to give you. So I will drink the cup of the wrath of the father that you've stored up and exchange for that. Jesus offers us a cup of redemption that says you're free, you're forgiven, you're mine, you're chosen. How many of you here could benefit this morning from God looking at you in the stupidity of your hour, in the the poor choices of your life, in the selfishness of your decisions and God looks at you and says, I know what you did but you know what? I love you, you're forgiven. Drink of the cup of redemption, I'm gonna buy you back. I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to make you a new person. You don't have to be that person for the rest of your life because I drunk the cup that you should have drunk and I switched it for you to have the sweet new covenant that I have for your life. This is why people come by and they look at us from the outside in. They're like, those people are crazy. They look like they're having like a concert in there and singing and we're, we're, we're happy because we know we found 
where forgiveness lies. It lies in the hands of a savior. His name was Jesus. And he took the cup of God's anger towards sin who doesn't wink, blink, or forget about it. He took it out on his son, Jesus, and he switched the cup so that you and I could be forgiven. And ask the worship team to come up here and we're gonna head towards communion in a moment, but think about this. The cup of, of new wine, uh, the cup of new wine and the cup of redemption. The, there's lots of places where the Bible uses a metaphor and you could just get crazy and run away from it. It's always important to try and keep the analogy that the scripture's using within the context of where it's talking about it because you can just all of a sudden grab a verse here, grab a verse there, grab a verse there. But just for entertaining me, if you would just let me do this a little bit in Acts chapter two, verse 13, when that new covenant was totally in full force and man was made right with God, the Bible says that he pours out his spirit on the people. And you know what's amazing? Here's what happens. As soon as God is moving in these people, I mean, they're just totally filled with joy. They're totally, completely overtaken with, with, the, with not just the forgiveness. Listen, it's not enough to just be forgiven but to know that God is on your side and God has purpose for your life. Now that will totally change you. And the power of God came on the apostles and came on the people that were there. And all of a sudden there were a group of people out there. They're like, oh my goodness, what's wrong with these idiots? They're on new wine. And Peter gets up and he says, yeah, we're under the influence, but we're not under the influence of drunkenness, debauchery, whoredom. We're under the influence of the God who's made us clean and has given us purpose back. This is what the prophet Joel spoke about. Jesus put it like this. He said, no one rips off a piece of new garment and sews it to an old cloth. He says, neither do you put new wine in old wineskins. It's kind of a weird statement because we're kind of like, we don't even know what's the difference between new wine and old wine. Maybe, you know, it's fermented, okay. Uh, what's a new wine skin? What is an old wine skin? Look like, well, here's the thing is back in the ancient world, you would put it into one of these animal skins. And here's what happens when new wine gets into a wine skin, it ferments and it grows. It grows. It expands. So a lot of people are like, man, I'm growing in Jesus. You know what? Growth is proof of life. Growth of God's new wine in a person's life, it will expand. And here's the thing that's crazy about this is, is that Jesus says you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. Why? Because when you put it in an old one that's on the edge of cracking and breaking, as that expansion process happens, as the fermentation happens, it'll burst and you'll have wasted your investment in time. When God looks at you and me and says, if you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. God looks at you and I and he says, listen, I have a new covenant and I have a new thing I wanna do in your life. Behold, I do something new. Old things will pass away. All things become new. I want to do something new in your life. And, and some of us were just like, okay, well, I know how that works. I go to church. I pray. I love my life. I love my dog. I love my job. And then, no. See, you can't contain in that ordinary mundane life 
the amazing things that God wants to pour into you. Have you ever seen God's spirit work through you and open up the eyes of the blind? I have. Have you ever seen somebody who was crippled or demonically possessed and prayed for by ordinary people like you and me and they're set free? I have. Have you ever watched a life be in the bottom bowels of depression and hopelessness and turn around and become the most hopeful, joyful person in the room? I have. And here's the amazing thing is that there's nothing magical about this pastoral team. There's nothing magical about anyone in this place. It's all about the God that we serve. And he wants to use you the same way that he uses everybody else. But here's the thing about how this works and how it doesn't work. If you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. It cannot contain, you cannot contain, which means the friends that you've been hanging out with that you know you shouldn't, you shouldn't hang out with them anymore. You need new friends. You know what? The things that you say about people when they're not around, you can't talk like that anymore. God's called you and he's made you holy and he wants to change you. The garbage that you put in your system that both the world says is not good for you and doctors say is not good for you and the police department says is illegal for you, you can't live like that anymore because that is the way of Egypt, that is the way of slavery. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could remain in the muck and the mire of who you are and he wants to give you a new wineskin. He wants to trade, listen, change until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change change can't happen unless you invite God to change you unless you invite him we're going to stand and I want us to partake of communion and I want to explain this for everybody that's here I believe within the court of law and within scripture the Bible is very clear Jesus God in heaven became man drank the cup of wrath died on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven from our sins but then did what nobody else has said would do he rose from the dead in fact if you were to put the New Testament against the scrutiny of the American court system it would be a slam-dunk case witnesses all over the place one place 12 see him another place 500 see him they're like I don't know I don't know what's going on how listen we believe I believe in my heart this is salvation not not singing songs not going to church salvation is this if you believe if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead you shall be saved that's salvation that's the real sinner's prayer it's not a, you died on the cross for me. And it, you know, no, it, it, there were lots of people who died on the cross. There's only one that rose from the dead. And his name is Jesus. And he drank a cup of bitter wrath of every wrong thing that you did. And he knows what you're not. And he knows what you are. And he, just like Judas, looks at you and me and he says, I love you. And I would do it a thousand times over again and again. And Jesus offers us here today, this morning, will you trade the cup of wrath for the cup of redemption. Will you let me love you and change you? Will you, for, will you let me forgive you? As the group is going through here, if you don't have, if you missed the opportunity to grab one of the communion cups, I want you just to raise your hand real quick. They'll find their way to you. But I'd like to, I'd like to pray with you real quick before we transition here. See, communion is for followers of Christ, whether you go to any kind of church whatsoever. It's communion is simply this. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you embrace that? I hope 
Do you believe that God wants to forgive you? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God? Yes. The Bible says that's salvation. And here this morning, I wonder if there's some of you here that need to make an exchange of cups. You've been drinking. If you always do what you always did, you always get what you got. Listen, how's that plan working for you? It's not working. You know, if you just get enough positive thoughts in your mind, you'll change. No, no, you won't. You'll just temporarily change. Uh, if you just change, you know, your, your city, how many of you, like me, moved from place to place to place thinking that if I moved, that that would be my break and change? And I found out the problem wasn't where I was. The problem was me. God wants to break that cycle in your life here. I wonder if we could pray as a group here this morning whether we need this prayer or not, to give people an opportunity to let Jesus be Lord in their life. And maybe for some of you, you just need this again in your life. Pray this with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for drinking the cup of God's wrath. Thank you for exchanging that cup with forgiveness for me. Thank you for dying on the cross. I don't deserve it but I give you my sins and ask you to forgive me. And Jesus, if you can raise from the dead, you can raise me out of these problems. You can raise me into new hope. You can raise me into joy. You can raise me into freedom. I receive you as savior and I give you right to be Lord. In Jesus' name. I believe with all of my heart if you prayed that for the first time and meant that, you're a child of God. Your life has changed. I believe if you've been far from him and you've been trying to find your way back and you prayed that, you've just begun the first step in a great journey back and right with God. I also believe that we can totally help in that journey and I encourage you to fill out that next Get Connected card so that we can bless you and be there for you. And if God did something in your life today, let us know about it. Let us know what we're doing is making a difference. That helps and encourages us as well. But here's what I'd like to do. I love this new song, New Wine. I want us just to sing it. We've got more than enough time and we'll still get out of here early. I want us to sing this one more time and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to lead us through the process of communion. Can I just give you a practical tip here? It how many of you have tried opening this and you went to get the bread and all you got was the cup and then you spilt the cup all over you trying to get the bread and yeah, I, I'm with you. If you just take this thing and you just kind of lick your finger a little bit and you just rub on the side until you get that plastic lipped up a bit, you can totally get that and then you hold on to the, to the big tab and you pull back. That makes it easier. I just know some of you, this is actually, how many of you are like, thank you for showing me that. That helps me. I'm tired of spilling it on me. I knew this would be a very practical thing before we do the spiritual thing, but, but you do that. Now you're ready for step one and then the step two will come easy. You ready to sing this song with passion? I love this, man. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Do it, Lord. Let's sing it and I'll be back.
We just thank you. In the crushing, Lord, you became the vintage of God's wrath and you drank it. And you offer us new wine. We just say to you, your Lord, we're not. Help us to learn better to follow. Help us to turn better than we do. Lord, today we just thank you. We want to partake of communion today. And so I want you to peel back that bread. And listen to the words of Jesus the night that he did this, reflecting on what would become known for us as communion. And he said it like this. He said, after taking the bread and blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. I'm going to get chewed up for you so that you could experience new freedom." Don't disappoint me. Don't miss your moment. Let my grace be sufficient. Stay with me. Keep following me. Can I tell you something? Never met anyone that didn't continue to cry out to God for deliverance and help that sooner or later wasn't set free. It took 10 plagues to set the children of Israel free in deliverance. As Pentecostals were notorious for wanting to say one prayer and everything changes in a moment, but sometimes scripture shows us that sometimes deliverance is a process. 
you keep holding on. And Lord, today we chew this bread knowing that we're not where we ought to be, but we're getting there by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, partake with me. And now for the first time without spilling it all over myself, I will peel back the cup and listen to the words of Jesus. And he took the cup when he had given thanks gave it to them saying drink of it all of you (laughs) Jesus didn't die for just some people he died for everyone but he's a gentleman he doesn't force himself on us he invites us to trade cups and he says this he says I tell you the truth I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you new in my father's kingdom there's coming a day where I will be sitting presence of Jesus and he'll smile at me and he'll hand me that cup for the last time and say it is finished you may not be who you ought to be my goodness if Jesus is Lord of your life you're not going to remain the same it may take ten plagues it may take time but you stand forgiven Lord we stand here and we receive from your hand the same way that your disciples did, the cup of redemption, that you traded the bitter wine of God's wrath so that we could drink the sweet new wine. And Lord, we know that you cannot put new wine in an old wineskin, which means that you require some things in our life to change. Some old things that are there need to change. Lord, we're not who we used, we, we're not who we used to be, but we're not quite yet who we ought to be, but we're getting there. And so Lord, We thank you that we get to partake of this cup before the work is finished, before your people are perfected, that you love us faults and all. And to that, can we take this cup with joy, not with sorrow? In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just so many times communion is taken in a somber, bitter shameful reflection but the cup that Jesus offers us is sweet and hopeful listen I don't care where you've come on the hope meter here today hope is part of the equation if Jesus is part of your life keep him center keep him center Father in the name of Jesus we glorify you and we thank you for these moments that we've had around your table and around your word Lord, help us as we fall and fail, that we fail and fall forward, that it's closer to you. And help us to not miss the grace that you have us. We were never good enough and we would never be good enough. But Lord, the new covenant gives us grace and we are not motivated out of shame and guilt and fear, but we're motivated to be the right people out of love and gratitude and joy. Let us be that community and those people. In Jesus' name, amen. You're free to come. You're free to go. You're free to sing. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week.